welcome to the Squadcast. Looking forward to a, another great little discussion with you all today. Got Sarah with us. Hey. And we are finishing up our series on becoming. And I think it's been a, a really enjoyable series. What do you reckon, Sarah? Have you enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, I have really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, any highlights for you? I feel like just really good reminders of what God is calling us into mm. um, and those challenges around loving one another when I don't want to love other people. Yeah. Like God's really had his thumb on it for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, for me, I just love being reminded of the fact that we are image bearers and that it is actually a privilege yeah. to represent God well to our world and... Uh, you know that actually this calling is actually it is it's a simple calling you know love God love others um, but we we complicate it so much so complicated. You know, and um, you know which is why I used the story yesterday of you know when Ellie and I got married you know there's so many extra things yeah. that we thought would add to our wedding and in the end we knew were, they were missed but we didn't even notice yeah. because at the end of the day, the union was the most important thing. That's a really great principle for life, isn't it? Like, does this will this matter in five days' time, five weeks' time? Absolutely. This, we've complicated things so much that it gets in the way of love. Yeah, yeah. Let's be present. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Yeah, so I've really enjoyed that. We're going to tie up uh, uh, the series uh, with this last squadcast. Uh, there was one question that came out yesterday that we we said we'd specifically address um, and so uh, we'll probably spend most of our time on that question because it's really a big topic um, and I want to do it justice so uh, this podcast may be a little bit longer than others I don't know we'll see how we go um, but yeah so we've, we've tied up the, the series of becoming that we have become something in Jesus we are becoming something as we follow him we're becoming more and more like him and uh, and we will become the fulfillment That's of right. a restored humanity, living in right relatedness with God once again, right relatedness with one another, and right relatedness with creation. And that that is where we're heading. That's the you know this is where the the God's restoration project is heading, and we get to participate in that now. It starts with Eden, ends with Eden, and in the meantime, we get to show the world what Eden looks That's like. That's right. Yeah. And, and I guess not forgetting that there was a garden in the middle with Jesus. That's, That's right. That's what set the whole... Yeah, yeah, totally. Changed the course. That's right, yeah, yeah. He is the He is the pinnacle of mm. it all. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament, we're living in the reality of what he has done. That's right. But it all is centred on Jesus. What went wrong in one garden, he restored in another garden. That's it. And it's, it's really, really beautiful. So the, the question that we had, specifically we were talking about yesterday about um, the temple and uh, us becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells, uh, and I, I um, read from Revelation 21, which talks about uh, you know not a physical temple, 
that, that we are not heading towards a restoration of a physical temple, right. but the fact that God will dwell with his people as the temple. Um, and so one of the questions came out, how does the rapture fit with this? Um, and for some, uh, I imagine you may not, you may be going, I, I don't even know what the rapture is. Um, and so we'll talk about that. Um, and for some, uh, the rapture might be an idea that you've heard of, but you're not really sure too much about it. And then for others, the rapture might be a very strong held belief. Um, so I want to share a little bit about uh, my journey um, and then unpack where has the theology of the rapture come from. And uh, so what, one of the things I realised, and I probably want to start by apologising, um, when Sarah asked the question, I mean, it kind of took me by surprise a little bit. I wondered whether it might, the question might come up at some point, um, but I wasn't really prepared. And so I, I sort of just threw out a statement and said, we'll talk about it in the Squadcast. Um, but what I did say was that uh, we traditionally have never been a dispensationalist church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I sort of said, if you do believe in the rapture but don't know what dispensationalism is, you should probably do some study around that. Um, and I realised that was probably a little bit untactful, maybe a little bit blunt, and for that I apologise. Um, I really want to clarify that what I am not saying is that you need to believe what I believe to be part of Awaken. That is certainly not what I'm saying. Uh, I recognise that we all have different uh, ideas around some of this stuff, especially with eschatology. Um, and so, um, but what I was saying is even before Ellie and I arrived, uh, mm our church never traditionally taught a dispensationalist um, view of scripture um, and so we and so for me if someone says uh, the word rapture I instantly think of dispensationalism because that is where it's come from um, and I've also discovered that a lot of people maybe have a, a view of the rapture or a belief around the rapture but don't know what dispensationalism mm-hmm. is um, and so what we have then is a belief that is floating, um, you know, because the rapture isn't a theory in a vacuum. It's come from somewhere. Um, it's actually a very new belief within yep. uh, Christian faith, and it's actually a minority belief. Um, it's a very American um, perspective, especially evangelical evangelicalism, in America, um, and it's, I would also suggest it's a minority view even in that. Um, so you're not going to find much talk or belief of the rapture in the UK, uh, and especially in, East, in the East. That, mm. It's just not even really existent. So we can um, explore that. Um, and uh, so first of all, I wanted to, I guess, start with... Um, oh, also, we'll look at 1 Thessalonians 4. At some point, so maybe if you can load that verse up or that passage, Sarah, and we can look at that. Um, but I wanted to start by saying uh, that uh, when it comes to eschatology or the theology of end times, uh, I would put that in a third tier level of um, belief. And, and what I mean by that is there are certain things that we need to be in agreement on, um, there's certain things that we can. 
be in disagreement on, but we might struggle to walk together. Um, and then there's a, what I would say is a third tier level of belief where we can disagree on this and it doesn't affect us at all. Um, so in the first tier, we would have things like um, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, um, you know, things that are really important, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that they are literal events, the, the virgin birth, all, all those things that the creeds um, set out for us. Uh, we should be in agreement on them. Right. If we are in disagreement about them, um, we are, we've stepped out of orthodoxy and potentially have walked away from what is orthodox Christian belief. In the second tier, we've got things like um, the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, those sorts of things. Um, we, we can be in disagreement. It doesn't make us an unbeliever or it's not a salvation issue. Uh, but uh, we might find it a little bit hard. You know, someone who doesn't believe in the gift of tongues might struggle a little bit in our culture because right. we do believe in it and you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it doesn't make you any less of a Christian or anything like that. Uh, and then the third tier, we've got things like eschatology. Um, and, you know, we can disagree on these things and still walk together, absolutely. Um, and I recognise that within our church family, we would have all sorts of different beliefs. Um, there are about four main beliefs when it comes to eschatology, and uh, all of them are within orthodoxy. All of them are right throughout the body of Christ, and that's fine. Yep. So if you believe something different from me, I love you. It, it means, you know, there's... This shouldn't be something we should ever, ever separate over. Um, and I think Augustine had a good quote yeah, on that. Augustine, yeah, Augustine, he said, uh, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in everything, love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is actually, uh, for our movement, Christian Church in New Zealand, we have two creeds. One creed is no creed but Christ. Right. This is just about Jesus. Let's not overcomplicate this. And the other creed is that very quote. Mm that uh, we are able to walk together even when we disagree on some things right. and we offer liberty and charity and love to one another when we disagree. And so, uh, you know, so that's the basis on which we will unpack some things. That's great. Right from the start, you should have declared this earlier, eschatology, what does it mean, Michael? Oh, eschatology <laughs> is the theology of end times, mm -hmm. so the future, the eschaton. Uh, yeah, so that is what eschatology is. Um, and yeah, so it's, I think, for, so for me, when, when we have uh, ideas like the rapture, um, uh, some people might have uh, a certain belief, like, I, I just want to point out, like, I'm a, I'm a really deep thinker, and so when someone brings up a topic, most topics I've probably gone about six layers down on. <laughs> um, and I, I struggle a little bit, and this can be me being a little bit cynical, and um, I need to... It's one of the things that I realise is part of my personality type, and I need to make sure I keep it in check, is that I can... Um, I don't know if arrogance is the right word here, but when someone talks about a topic uh, like the rapture, but don't know what the word eschatology means, or dispensationalism mm. I really struggle with that because I'm going hey, hey, have you thought about this have you studied this because I've thought about this yeah. <laughs> you know very deeply and studied and spent a lot of time on this um, and so what happens I have discovered over time is that um, we, we have this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect which 
means that we are most certain about things we know the least about. That's right. Um, and the reason for that is because there's no, I would call them floating beliefs, there's no foundation to them. And so um, we doubled down on them because we're not sure if that belief is taken, what foundation do I have to stand on? Um, and so what I would rather do is, um, with topics like this, I don't, I, there's a reason why I've never preached about it because I'd much rather have a conversation with someone mm. and help to find out where did you get this belief from originally. Um, because often what happens is we get taught something um, and then we create our worldview around what we've been taught. But unless we've actually studied it ourselves, it's just a floating belief. Absolutely. Um, and, so, um, and so people can get quite fearful about someone pushing back on a floating belief because there's no foundation to it. But if you have a foundation to it, you can have, usually have a pretty healthy discussion. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do on the scorecast now is, is um, actually explore where did this belief come from originally um, and help build a foundation. And if at the end of it you say, hey, I still 100% believe this, and it's like, awesome, love okay. you, let's carry on. Um, and if, if it's helpful to give you some foundation, then that's great as well. And this is just the illustration that you've used so many times about the Jenga blocks. Totally. Like, with our faith, we can take those Jenga blocks out. We can have a look at them. We can examine them and go, does this get to go back in or not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so what happened for me is, so I grew up in a, I've grown up in church, um, and the church that I grew up in um, had a, uh, a dispensational uh, framework, so a dispensational framework, but did not believe in the rapture. Um, and we will explain what dispensationalism is because you cannot talk about the rapture without talking about it. Um, so they had some sort of framework. So dispensationalism would say that God has been uh, working with humanity through different dis dispensations, um, whereas my belief would be more of a covenantal mm -hmm. belief that God works through covenants, not through dispensations. Um, uh, so I so that's I sort of grew up in that environment. So the rapture was never something that we considered, or it just wasn't part of our framework. Um, then, when I was in my early teens, we went along to a Barry Smith uh, meeting where that was a very strong mm -hmm. belief. That totally was like I was like in a war. You know, there were charts and graphs and you know all of the stuff. I remember yeah. the banners. And everything <laughs> was so certain, you know, like this is the Antichrist, this is this, this is that, this is this, and, and it was like, wow, like this is amazing stuff. Unfortunately, none of it has come to pass. Um, but um, so I was fixated on this and became very, very strong for me um, to the point that I remember even when I wasn't following Jesus. So I got kicked out of school when I was 15. I'm working in an orchard far away from Jesus completely, you know, but I remember working in an orchard, having conversations with people that are working there and telling them about how seven years time, this is going to, you know, like the tribulation and this guy's the antichrist and this. And, the, and I, I remember like just going, like I was pretty passionate about it, even though I had no relationship with Jesus. I explain that I don't know, um, but so passionate. And, and one of the guys said to me, oh, "I feel so sorry for you. You're 15, and you've got such a doom and gloom perspective wow. of the world." And I was like, "Oh wow, yeah." <laughs> you know, like I hadn't even yeah. considered 
I preached it to my fifth form English class. I preached that stuff because right. I had gotten saved in that time. Right. I had been a Christian for three weeks. Yeah. I had my friend write my speech, and I did. I preached it to my fifth form right. English class. Yeah, the exact same stuff out of Barry Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, so very much. Even mm. even when I wasn't following Jesus, it was very. Um, I was sort of quite fixated on it. And, um, and it was a season when, so it was Y2, it would have been what, 1999, Y2K totally. was a big thing. Yep. And we're in crisis again now, and I think that's why we hear some of these things coming back up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Then, a uh, number of years later, as a youth pastor, um, my senior pastor, once when I became a youth pastor, he was really like, I don't, like, didn't want to talk about it at all. He was just like, he just said, I'm, I'm pan trip, it'll all pan out. So uh, and so I'm probably a lot more there mm-hmm. now. Um, so I, I would say this, that I am I am definitely going to be on the welcoming committee, <laughs> but I am not on the planning committee. Love it. So, you know, like, and um, the welcoming part will be important when we talk about 1 Thessalonians. Um, but, um, like, I don't think scripture is that clear. Mm. You know, like, no one will know that, day or the time you know um so you know i want to be on the welcoming committee that's what i'm focused on that's good yeah um so but anyway so i'm a youth pastor we had another guy at our church who said something to me one day which offended me and i'm going what on earth i've never heard this before how wrong are you you know like you're crazy um but because i'm a thinker an observer and at that time a arrogant young person (laughs) I thought I'm going to prove him wrong and so I went away and started to study started to read uh, and that was before YouTube was around Mm. so I couldn't just go on YouTube and like listen to someone verify my beliefs you know what I mean I had to do some genuine study and in the end I came back and I said you know what I think you're right Mm. Um, and so that kind of started me on a new journey of um, of figuring some of this stuff out uh, and and since then have done a big journey around um, the gospel of the kingdom and that's you know and so as far as awaken is and even before I arrived we were a very strong kingdom focused uh, church um, that is has been our focus on what we teach um, and as I have done study, I've discovered that dispensationalism is about as polar opposite as you can get to kingdom. Yeah. Um, and I'll explain why uh, in a minute. So that's been my journey. I got offended, but have done a journey of actually figuring out actually I think yeah. that um, you know where I stand now is probably um, you know I, I've done a lot of yes. study on it. Yeah, and for me it was Bible college. Right. Just hearing about Revelation and it turned all on its head for me. It's the fifth gospel of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Mm. It's the Old Testament. Like it's just packed, chocker full of Old Testament imagery. Yeah. Um, so that very gently, yeah. Yeah. Turned yeah. me around. Totally. So if we look at the um, dispensationalism, so dispensationalism is very, very new as far as Christian faith goes. So around the early 1800s. Um, and it came out of the Plymouth Brethren. Uh, and um, there was a guy called John Nelson Darby who really, um, he was a pastor in the Plymouth Brethren movement. He really created this idea of dispensationalism. Um, 
and there was a young girl who was about 15 in one of the services one day had a vision um, of people floating in the air and all this sort of idea. That's where the idea of the rapture sort of came mm -hmm. from. Uh, Darby sort of fitted that all in together with this um, idea of dispensations and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's where it started, so early 1800s. Um, it didn't really take off uh, over there in the UK. Uh, then he brought it out to America where a guy called Cyrus Schofield mm -hmm. picked up on it. Um, and he, uh, you may have heard of the Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, so Cyrus Schofield put together this, the um, Schofield Reference Bible. Uh, Cyrus Schofield, and that's where it really took off yeah. in America. It became very, very big over there. The Moody Institute took it on as you know doctrine, um, and the Dallas Seminary yeah. took it on. Um, and so, but uh, Cyrus Schofield was actually not a very nice man. He um, uh, he cheated on his wife, left his wife, stole money off people, swindled people. Um, there's quite a long list of things that he uh, did which would not be becoming of anyone that follows Jesus. Yeah. Quite a long list. Uh, and in the end, he, he was a lawyer. He got kicked out, got kicked off the bar. All sorts of things happened because he was just really quite a dishonest man. Mm -hmm. um, and all during that time is when he is putting together the Schofield Reference Bible. It is, the, from what I understand, the very first reference Bible. So it's the first Bible that has references and sort of follows, a, a um, you know, this is that, this is mm -hmm. this, this is that. And so dispensationalism is um, put over top of Scripture yep. with his Bible. Um, and there are lots of verses that he disagreed with, removed, or said this shouldn't be in here. Things that he added, a lot of his own thoughts added into that. Um, one of the things that I think is most tragic, most tragic, is that um, the Daniel prophecies are pushed out, uh, you know, for a, at this stage, an unlimited amount mm -hmm. of time. Mm -hmm. There's a one comma in there uh, that is said to be, well, yes. uh, at this point, 2,000 years, who knows how long. Um, but one of the things that is most tragic is that we have this beautiful prophecy of Jesus the coming Messiah mm -hmm. that is flipped and made to be the Antichrist. Yeah, that is tragic. Um, um, and so, the, and this is where we have dispensationalism, the idea coming through into um, American Christianity. Um, so, one of the the key ideas here with dispensationalism is that the Old Testament and New Testament are quite separate. That the Old Testament does not point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that the New Testament does not um, reflect the Old Testament. So, um, and the idea of dispensations is that there are different dispensations. The last dispensation is uh, the dispensation of kingdom. Mm. So every and uh, sorry, I'll just jump in here and point out that this is the original idea of dispensation. N now there is lots of different versions of it. Yeah. So there's progressive dispensationalism. There's um, uh, revised dispensationalism and then there's classic dispensationalism uh, so some people listening might say well I don't believe the stuff you're talking about um, and it's because it's it's changed over time what I'm wanting to say is is this is where it's all come from yeah um, and 
and it's you know so one of the things so because the last dispensation is the dispensation of kingdom uh, they would say that anything that references kingdom in scripture is not relevant to us wow so sermon on the mount irrelevant um, you know anything where Jesus talks about the kingdom this is all pushed out to the millennial reign this is all pushed out to the future it's not relevant uh, so back then it, it it really caused a lot of people to live lives that weren't um, very becoming of Christian faith uh, quite liberal um, you know there's no sense of needing to live a, a holy life mm-hmm. or a righteous life because um, you know all of all of the ethics of the kingdom are pushed out right. um, to the future. And so, um, you know, so that's a big concern. Um, and that's probably the key th- reason why I would say that dispensationalism and kingdom seem they, they're at op- opposition to one another. Um, so, so that's just some of the ideas. Some, uh, some of the other ideas of dispensationalism is that there are two plans, one for Israel and one for um, the Gentiles. So diff- two different ways mm-hmm. of being saved, that there is uh, two different covenants, one for Israel, one for the Gentiles. Uh, and that um, one of the ideas is this, is that uh, Jesus came and presented the kingdom to the Jews. They rejected the kingdom, so Jesus took it back. The church is plan B mm-hmm. uh, for a set amount of time uh, where where, and this is where the rapture idea comes in, then God will whisk the church out and then he will uh, get back to his original plan yeah. uh, of um, working with the, with the Jews. Um, and so there are two very different plans, two different timelines. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so does that... Yeah, yeah that's you're, tracking, you're tracking with me so far? Um, so, so some of the things that uh, I'm just trying to find here. Yeah, so we've got um, the postponement of the kingdom, um, the separation of, of Jews and Gentiles. So where Paul was talking about, you know, there is no Gentile, there is no mm-hmm. Greek, there is no Jew. You know, we are all, all one. Um, all of those are, you know, pushed out to the millennium or undone, you know, um, and so, you know, all of all of those things are, yeah. I don't know what you would do with that. <laughs> That's big, and how how did um, just listening to all of that as well. Um, you know, Paul is talking to a specific people at a specific time. Mm. It's really hard to get your head around it all being pushed out, um, and even in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament being these kind of separate entities and thinking you know, with Revelation, um, the percentage of Old Testament references and illustrations is huge. Like, yes. Revelation is jam-packed full of Old Testament language. Yes. Yeah, how does it all fit <laughs> together under that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, if, if the um, Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and then John is using the Old Testament to point to Jesus... I mean, I think one of the classic ones is the disciples on the road to Emmaus, mm. where, you know, they say our hearts were burning within us as Jesus unpacks the scriptures, yeah. which is the Old Testament, unpacks the scriptures and shows that he is the fulfillment. Mm. 
you know, like, what do you do with yeah. that then? Um, yeah, so, so what they would say is, so there's a passage in Scripture that says that we need to rightly divide the Word of God. Um, so they would say that that particular passage is saying that um, rightly dividing the Word means figuring out which passages apply to Jews and which passages apply to us. And so there's a, a separation right. all the time through Scripture of going, well, no, nah, that's not, it's not written to us. It's got nothing to do with us because we're the church like the Sermon on the Mount, mm. um, or, sorry, or, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. they're separating Scripture all the way through and saying this applies to the Jews, it doesn't apply to us, or this applies to us and doesn't apply to the Jews because God's got two separate plans. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we've got people like um, George Mueller, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, a great... Um, person of faith and right. you know the history of the church he he said this once he said my brother I am a constant reader of my Bible and I soon found out that what I was taught to believe by Darby's doctrine did not always agree with what my Bible said wow. I came to see that I must either part company with John Darby or my precious Bible and I chose to cling to my Bible and part from Mr. Darby Wow. so uh, yeah so that's um, so that's Interesting. Uh, one of the other th- things is that um, they would take um, a, a hyper literal view of scripture, so nothing is spiritualized. So, uh, so whereas we would, talk, you know, as example for the temple, mm-hmm. um, where you know we are being built into living stones, uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they would push back on on that and say, no, no, there has to be a physical temple, um, and that kind of thing. So, so there is um, constantly this wrestle with what is, um, e- everything has to be read literally. Yeah. There's no, um, sp- you know, spiritualization or, yeah. And so they would say that all of, um, you know, when Jesus said that he is the fulfillment of all of the, um, the prophets, mm-hmm. um, they would say, no, he's not. That they are all yet to be fulfilled Jesus isn't the film fulfillment of them. So, you know, there's all sorts of things in there mm-hmm. that, for me, um, are really problematic. Um, and so this is where the theology of the rapture has come from. Yep. Um, and that's why I really struggle with it as a... Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any questions? Um, well, I wonder, should we look at first there? First Thessalonians 4, uh, because, you know, let's give people the passages that actually point to this and maybe unpack a little bit what was happening at the time. Totally, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, with this particular passage, I mean, I'm quite okay with the word rapture being used to describe, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's going on. The problem is, is all of the baggage that is now attached to um, the idea of the rapture was we've got, you know, um, things like the Left Behind series and all of that that um, have made the rapture... I mean, I, 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 th- I think, and I could be wrong here, but I feel like most people get their theology from the Left Behind series rather than from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is we have... Again, it's just an, an idea you know, based on a movie <laughs> right. rather than what the Bible um, actually says. And, and so... Um, you know the Left Behind series, 
um, you've got Hal Lindsay and all of those guys who all grew up under Schofield. Um, and so that's, yeah. there's this very, very strong link back to Schofield. And I guess because we're storytellers Bible. by nature, you know, humans, we're wired for story. Yes. Because we've been given this theology in story form. Mm. that's potentially why it holds for us as well. I mean, I read, I can't remember, there was so many of those left behind. We used to pass them around the youth group, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I was reading them for years. Uh, compelling story. Oh, totally. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and um, and elements of, of truth in there as well, you know what I mean? But I think, you know, when, when a half-truth is made a whole truth, it's no truth, you know? Like, we, right. it has to be... Um, put into the the context of um, scripture. Absolutely. Um, and so, what happens with um, this idea of like e- everything being literal? Um, so, context then becomes what does what does the verse literally say, rather than um, what did the original hearers mm. um, believe this to say and what was the author's original intent yeah 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 so all all of that idea of what context actually is is removed and it's just it's really saying what do I think the scripture means to me Mm. and that's really problematic as well yeah yeah Um, and and so for Paul writing to the Thessalonians um, they were asking him questions about what happens when Jesus comes back and what happens with the dead? Yes. Yeah. Are they missing out? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, because they had people that had died. That's it. And their framework is, you know, um, they're hoping that Jesus is returning in their lifetime, and they're going, wait, but some people have died. That's it. Are they going to miss out? Or, you know, so this is... And Paul's yeah. trying to put together, um, and I think it was N.T. Wright put, he said that it's like trying to describe colour to someone who's colourblind. Right. Like you're not going to have a great analogy how Paul's trying to describe what this is all going to be like with Jesus. Um, and so he's pulling from, I guess, the imagery that is already in Scripture, yep. trying to help. And imagine trying to explain colour to someone who's colourblind. Yeah. That's tough. And if you might describe that, red is like something sharp then does that make a knife or a needle red? Like you just, yeah, the, yeah. The, it just unravels when we try to yeah, apply absolutely. it differently. Yeah. Um, but I can read the passage. Yeah, let's do that. All right, so First Thessalonians 4 from verse 13. Uh, so Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Cool. So you can see there that Paul was clearly um, addressing the concern of what what happens to our friends that have died, our family members that have died when Jesus returns. And so, um, so... Paul is specifically talking about the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. 
uh, and then um, what will happen for those who are alive, mm-hmm. and um, and using that analogy of explaining colour to the colourblind, he's he's trying to pick up on some analogies that would help them yeah. understand this is this is what's going to happen. So he is writing to a primarily Greek um, culture. Mm-hmm. Although some Jews as well in the mix there, because the churches are mixed of Jews and Greeks right. and Gentiles and all, all different um, ethnicities mixed there together. Um, and so he's, there's two analogies that we could um, describe. One, especially for the, for the Greek, but, but also the Jews, but more so for the Greek. Um, he's describing the return of a king. That's right. And so... What would happen in those days is that a king would uh, go out to battle and he would have a victorious return back to the city. There would be, uh, you know, when the watch person would see them afar off, they'd blow the trumpet, Mm -hmm. the sound of the the victorious king is returning. Uh, And what would happen then is they would open the gates and and I'll... Listen to this from Psalm 24. Uh, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory, the Lord almighty? He is the King of glory. And so they would uh, open the gates, the trumpet blows, the gates would be opened, and there would be a welcoming mm. committee, a, a welcoming people that would go out and meet the king, and then where would they go? They return back to Sorry, the city in a, in a celebration of the king's victory. And so Paul was using this mm-hmm. analogy to describe what is, is happening. We will meet with Christ. That's right. But where are we going? We're ushering him back in. We're ushering him back in. We are the welcoming committee ushering it's him good. back in. It's good. And it's really similar with the Jewish culture, isn't it? There's an analogy there that... Do you want to explain that one? Or I've already got the marriage one in my head. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, so what would happen is that when the bridegroom... Yeah. Uh, the, the, the bride would go out to meet the bridegroom. That's right. And, bring, and they would come in together. That's, and so that's why uh, in Matthew 26 it has the story of the ten um, bridesmaids, the, the wise virgins with the oil in right. their lamps. So they were waiting yeah. for the bridegroom so they could go out to brat- usher him into to the usher banquet. usher him back in, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so right through scripture, I mean, Jesus and Paul, and they were all using these descriptions of a marriage, the, the wedding feast, you know, all of this is the, the language that is surrounding this. And so, but once you understand what that looked like in Jewish customs, right. you see, ah, oh, right, the bride goes out to meet the bridegroom, and they come in together as a procession. That's it. Um, and so, these are the these are the pictures that Paul was drawing on Absolutely. to explain um, what's going on. And they're really beautiful pictures too. Like, there's no fear. There's no. It's just a beautiful picture. And I mean, because they would party for for days with a wedding. Yes. And, and we, so we see that kind of banquet yeah. celebration yeah. picture. Yeah. yeah, and so then obviously that really ties into uh, Revelation 21, where yeah. the new heavens and new earth are coming 
we're they're not go, we're not going to them. They are coming to us. That's right. So renewed earth, a restored uh, creation. You know, like all of this is happening here. He is the God who has come to us. And that's such a mind shift to be thinking about heaven here, not heaven there. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so that's the, you know, for me that that this all makes perfect sense yeah. um but the us going somewhere else doesn't it doesn't seem to fit um and so yeah that's yeah creation will be restored yeah it's not going to be restored for us to leave it yeah god's not turn off the lights on our way out or anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so i mean that so that's the main sort of verse um there could be uh, other the the only other verse that I can or passage that I can think of uh, that could be used to describe a um, a rapturing away uh, would be Matthew twenty four, um, but I know from from study that even uh, genuine dispensationalists uh, agree that that does not describe a going away yeah. at all. Um, in fact, it infers the opposite mm. um, when it talks about one being taken, one being left behind. Yeah. Uh, the inference there is that the ones who um, are taken away is the evil. Yes. <laughs> uh, not, yeah, so it's, it actually portrays a completely opposite picture. Um, so they, yeah, dispensations don't use that passage um, at all. Right. So to tie this uh, all up, we would absolutely affirm Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. He, there is a second coming of Jesus, and when he returns, all things will be put right. Well, it'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as Revelation said, there'll be no more tears. Mm. There'll be no more sadness. You know, all, all things will be put right, and that is our hope. Uh, that, as Paul says, that, that we will be resurrected. We will have resurrected bodies and we will once again be the dwelling place of God in its fullness, uh, that all things will be restored back to the original identity and purpose. And so in that sense, um, I know we would all agree on that Absolutely. and if that's what we want to call rapture I'm fine with that um, but we uh, my heart and my prayer is that we would be a church who uh, are so passionate about Jesus that our eyes would be on the fact that we get to be the welcoming committee and whatever that looks like when mm. it when it happens I mean, who knows? When it happens, I might go, oh, this is completely different than what I thought, but this is amazing, you know? Like, we are going to see Jesus. The Bible says, as he went, he will return. That's right. Uh, he is going to return in a triumphal, victorious way. And, you know, I, I believe all of the world will see that he is the king That's of right. glory. Um, and, and, 
we will be on the welcoming committee. Like, we will meet with him and celebrate his return and all things will be put right. Yeah. And that is a beautiful hope. Such a beautiful hope. Yeah. So wherever we land on what we believe about how that might look, uh, let's be the welcoming committee together. And let's not forget that today we also get to be part of that welcoming committee. That's right. When we gather, we celebrate the fact that the kingdom is here now, not in its fulfillment, it's now but not yet, but we get to be part of his restoration project. We get to be part of seeing lives transformed. We get to be a part of the the reality of the kingdom now and show the world what it looks like. We're saying, we're saying, hey, I've tasted and seen that God is good. Let me show you that God is good. And what a beautiful privilege that is. Yeah. So I pray that this has uh, either been helpful um, or has helped to clarify some things. Um, and I would also say this, if this is a topic that you want more clarity on and you'd like to talk to me about, uh, feel free. I'm more than happy to talk um, with you about this. Um, I had a, a great friend who has passed away now, Jeff Workman, and we disagreed on this. <laughs> and we would get into scripture together and wrestle with it. And then we would pray together and love each other um, because we were more than okay with been in disagreement on this because it wasn't about that it was about Jesus and we knew that and it was just good times so um yeah and I know right now he's he's with Jesus you know like he's living it he knows there's no more explaining color to the colorblind he's seen it that's right yeah Yeah, he's seen Jesus in his fullness and oh man what a privilege so Mm. yeah anyway bless you uh looking forward to the next series on Philippians so get into that book as we get into it next week bless you church